legacy of two of the most highly influential families in American music. So please join us on February 25th, Thursday at 6 p.m. at the Alamo Theater in Bucksport for The Winding Stream. More information is available at weru.org. We hope to see you there. We got married in a fever, hotter than a pepper sprout. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. I'm going to mess around. Yeah, I'm going to Jackson. Look out, Jackson Town. Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. You're listening to WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming at weru.org. It's time for Boat Talk. Good morning, good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this wet world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Here today on uh, It Is... Uh, Mardi Gras Day. I don't know if you realize that or Micah, but uh, Mardi Gras and Boat Talk both uh, have uh, things in common, at least uh, Mardi Gras and uh, the Prudent Sailor both have second lines. Good. He is yep. the punny one. You have to wait for it. <laughs> Try to figure out where it's coming from. I can't always. That was good. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's current, but we're really going to get around to uh, two captains from the Bodener who are here with us today. We have uh, Rick Miller and John Worth, both uh, former captains of the Bowden, and uh, we're going to talk about what the state of the Bowden is right now and places it's been and all sorts of other things, too. And as I said, it is a call-in show, too. If you have anything you'd like to add, here's the number right now, one 866 625-9378 is the call in for Boat Talk. We talked to uh, Andreas Kipagoros, who is an AK shipbuilding. He's rebuilding Bowden's deck right now, which necessitated rebuilding the top of her hull as well. Uh, down in uh, Camden, we talked to him last month on Boat Talk. And uh, Bowden's quite a subject interest around here lately. We will also speak of a couple other little things. To start off, uh, a couple of items in the news lately. Uh, the obvious one is the cruise ship, but I want to start with Beyonce at the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. Is she here? Uh, no. Oh, whoa, wouldn't that help Boat Talk? <laughs> God, we could get somewhere. Um, no, Beyonce, uh, uh, her new song, I uh, forget what it was called, but um, it just dropped the other day. And the chorus, apparently, now I've been told this, I, I can't really uh, hear it myself. Um, the chorus references, if, uh, baby, if you're good to me, I'm going to take you to Red Lobster. Which is a, a uh, it's kind of the power of uh, the word lobster. you got to love it. It's, uh, it's healthy, it's powerful, it's uh, valuable, uh, the word lobster. And in that connotation, it's, there's a richness to it. There's, a, you know, a specialness, uh, the brand, and, and uh, never underestimate the power of lobster on the coast of Maine. Uh, yeah, it's going beyond the coast of Maine, too. There was an interesting article in Fisherman's Voice about a whole plane load of lobsters that flew over to, uh, to China, live lobsters to China. Yep, and, of course, we mentioned on Boat Talk before I deliver boats. I spend a lot of time uh, going up and down the East Coast, and 30 years ago there was a lot of gear south of here. It ain't there anymore, mm. and it's moving north and east. And, uh, God forbid, uh, the main lobster fishery ends up in Newfoundland and... And uh, how many years, uh, you know. But the water is changing. And so anyway, the power of lobster, Beyonce at the Super Bowl. I thought that was, that was you know, we had to remark on it anyway. On the news, you will see uh, 
Sovereign of the Seas, I forget what her name was, uh, biggest cruise ship in the world, I think they were advertising. Um, headed from uh, a port in New, next to New York and New Jersey and headed to uh, uh, Port Canaveral and then across to Bahamas into a Category 2 hurricane, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely a, a very serious uh, sea conditions and weather for that vessel. It the, was a... Uh, wasn't a hurricane, but hurricane force winds. Yeah, um, and big seas, and she was rolling. I think about forty-five degrees. Those boats look amazingly. Uh, they're amazingly tall and, and look very top-heavy. Um, on the news, they had the captain come on the PA. He said in an Italian accent, "This is probably his worst day at sea," which I didn't think was comforting to the passengers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, uh, he also, uh, they also said that the boat at, at no time uh, lacked for seaworthiness, which, uh, on the other hand, rolling 45 degrees will scare the pants off uh, uh, many a seasoned mariner, let alone somebody who's on their first cruise. Oh, I'm sure it was uh, very uh, scary for those people. Most of them have no boating experience, and, you know, I'd be wanting to sit in the lobby with my life jacket on, not go to my room. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder how many of them were lawyers. <laughs> We'll, well, know, we'll know the next few weeks. Yeah, I think we'll find out. <laughs> One of my favorite little uh, uh, boat maxims is a uh, cartoon of an old salt, peg leg salt, bouncing a little boy on his knee, and the caption is, son, it's your attitude makes the difference between ordeal and adventure. And those people weren't, weren't prepared for adventure <laughs> out there. There's too much stance uh, as they thought dying. A couple of things I thought was remarkable. Um, things sliding around on those boats. There's no fiddles. There's no, uh, they're not meant to tip at all. Um, uh, and then they are gaudy, and, uh, you know, you've got to disguise the bones of the boat to make nightclubs and very fancy glittering salons and stuff and, and when overheads and uh, bulkheads, the false bulkheads and overheads start falling everywhere. And, and as, as uh, Rick was saying, uh, furniture out on the balconies <laughs> going back and forth while the seventh floor uh, uh, balcony is down towards the water is, is uh, nothing but alarming. And those people have turned around, gone back to their home port. Uh, probably going to be a lot of follow-up from that. I would think so, yeah. So, somebody told me that they, the, the captain forgot the rule of cruising ships like that. It's terra firma. The more firma, the less terra. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. I like to tell people the, uh, uh, there's a perfect remedy for what's going on here. We need, you need to uh, uh, sit under a tree for a while. <clears throat> and they look at you blank, and they go, there's no trees. I go, that's right. <laughs> So anyway, nap in a parking lot, that's the other cure. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, I, I have a, a, a weather-related announcement I'll throw in quickly right now. The Bangor Area School District pre-K and kindergarten registration is postponed from today to a later date. The later date is going to be announced. So if you're ready to sign your kid up, send them off to school, you're going to have to wait until a later date. Um, we'll, we'll announce it when we find out what that date is. Now, uh, Rick Miller, former captain of the boat, and you're also a professor at the uh, Maine Maritime Academy. That's right, yep. You teach a weather class, don't you? I teach a couple weather classes. So yeah. I teach um, meteorology, which is kind of an introductory um, class for all the students there, all the licensed students. And then I do a weather routing class. Uh, right now, actually, Ken McKinley's teaching that class from uh, Camden. Um, this uh, thing was, of course, uh, very well forecast. Um, we were just mentioning the El Faro, too. Um, they lost their engines, and they were on their regular gig going back and forth hauling freight there, uh, a thing that happens to, to uh, boats all the time. Um, if, they, if the El Faro hadn't lost their engine, were they doing anything uh, bad out there? And, and I'm sorry, the reason I started to ask you was the difference between hurricane and hurricane force, as you said earlier. Well, the difference between hurricane and hurricane force. Hurricane is a, a different type of low-pressure depression or system than a uh, what we call extratropical lows, which we hear get in Maine and, uh, and what we call mid-latitude, so around 40 or 45 degree north latitude. That's a uh, storm that has cold fronts and warm fronts. A hurricane develops in the tropics, and it's a uh, isolated storm without uh, warm fronts and cold fronts, very compact, very powerful. Uh, and that's what El Faro steamed right into. Um, as mariners, we follow what's called the one-two-three rule, uh, where we uh, plot the forecasted track of the hurricane, and then we add um, some distance to the center of the storm, out to the 34-knot wind radius. This is all information available both on the ship and on land here. We can see it. 
the forecast. And then we add each day another 60 nautical miles to 100 nautical miles, basically be conservative with how close we approach a storm. Um, and if El Faro had uh, followed that, they would not have been anywhere near the, the center of the storm. Yeah, and again, they lost their engines. The other question is, uh, you know, was the boat in good shape to start with? So um, We won't know that, it seems like, but, uh, you know, they may have lost the engines because of the, the motion of the storm and, and the rough weather they were in. That's what I've learned on delivery. You don't like to shake the boat up. It is always a, uh, comes with uh, other consequences, usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, trouble follows, uh, usually, after that. Um, yeah, and the El Faro people, like I say, they were uh, doing their job out there. The cruise ship, uh, a little bit more arguable, it didn't need to be out there. No, um, and that uh, this storm was well forecasted. We knew it was coming off the coast down south and heading right up this way, like uh, the last nor'easter as well, but uh, surprising that somebody would steam right into it. Yeah, what else you got there, Alan? Well, um, we have one other rather related item. We were going to be talking with Larry Kaplan, who has made a CD about the Bowden. We're going to be getting around to that in a little bit. Larry is on the phone, too. Welcome to Boat Talk, Larry. Thanks very much. Hi. Yes. Um, so Larry is still in Connecticut. The storm prevented them from joining us. He was going to bring his guitar. We are cheated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, feel free to jump in at any time, Larry, in the conversation. Sure. Um, and the other thing I was going to get to was a thing that was in the paper about the uh, there's a new proposed critical habitat area uh, for the Gulf of Maine for right whale protection, and the lobster well not the lobster the fishermen in general seem to be concerned about it. Uh, this endangered uh, critical habitat area. I'm not so sure if their their concerns are. are too founded yet because this only means that uh, any federal agency that wants to do anything in that area, uh, i.e. drilling for anything, uh, they have to uh, consider the Department of Environmental Protection critical habitat area qualifiers before they do any any federal permitting. I don't think it really is going to affect the fishermen too much. I do know some fishermen that it that does affect. Again, I uh, travel south quite a bit and... Uh, Talked about him on the radio, uh, uh, chatted up a fellow named uh, Dirty Laundry. Uh, old Novi boat fishes out of um, uh, the end of the east end of the Cape Cod Canal in uh, Cape Cod Bay, which I call Whale Soup. Uh, you know, that is a place where you're going to see whales almost all the time. And his ability to fish has been severely cur- curtailed by those whales. He loves them. But on the other hand, they're hurting his living, and, and he's got issues. So, you know, how do you... How do you uh, how do you get them two things together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I have one other thing I'm going to throw out to everybody who nothing that you probably know about. Um, being former captains, though, and Mike being a delivery person, how would you like to be a captain or a crew on a ice-breaking LNG carrier? It seems like, to me, it's like making a, a combination propane torch sledgehammer. You know, good one. <laughs> this is also a Soviet boat, isn't it? It's right as well. It's made, in, made in Korea, and yep. it's a, a boat that's going to service the northern parts of uh, Russia because of the uh, re- retreating ice cap. They're going to make a fleet of fifteen of these things. I don't know if I'd really want to be a crew <laughs> on. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, Alan, because the uh, at May Maritime Academy on our simulator, we have a, an ice model now where you can actually take vessels like that and run them through simulations in ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Ralph Punt is running that, and, and I actually this week I'm going to get a chance to play in it, and so I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you about that. Yeah, um, yeah, tell me if you uh, breach the hull anywhere. It, <laughs> yeah. Stop smoking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> These boats are going to be servicing uh, the most northern gas fields in the world, which are up in Siberia, I believe, and uh, the Russian anyway. And uh, with uh, the global warming, uh, the Northwest Passage is opening up, and um, I read a book about people that went through on a cruise ship last last year. Um, the place is becoming more accessible, but never will it be an easy place to operate. I'm fair sure. To say. I'm sure you're right, and yeah. uh, and I, I think that's you know one of the reasons there's a lot of training going on to, to, because it is a different environment for running vessels. And Are they going to have to have uh, cat, uh, you know, pilots to uh, go on the boats that go all the way across the? 
I, Canadian I waters. I suspect that uh, there will be requirements for pilots uh, yeah. because they're going to be in such uh, tough environments that uh, they want to make sure that the, these ships make it through the, the passage. And when something goes wrong in a place like that? Bigger icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where? Yeah. Not nearby. Yeah, you know, again, not a lot of traffic up there. Uh, yeah. Canada um, is making more icebreakers. The United States is pretty far behind in that score. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're starting to move ahead now. I know Angus King has made an effort to try and get uh, the U.S. to get more engaged in icebreakers. So we'll see more of them. That's why I think there's a lot of training going on at the maritime level. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and I know Ralph Punt's also working to get uh, more satellite imagery of the ice and uh, being able to better forecast where it is and know where it is, how thick it is, and uh, how many years old it is. On the uh, website, uh, org, there's uh, oh, uh, old programs, and we talked to the chief, uh, Winnie, Chief Winiarski, the Coast Guard. He's the guy that breaks ice uh, right. locally here up the uh, Penobscot River. I don't think he's busy yet this year, though, is he? I think this has been a, a real uh, disappointment for those that love ice breaking on he the Penobscot River. Job. He loves his job. Yeah, I mean, they do make the runs up there, but this year has been pretty wide open in the Penobscot, yeah. which is, uh, you know, compared to last winter, as we all remember right well. Uh, Search and destroy missions. <laughs> and it's been a while since we've seen the tackle in, the, in Rockland Harbor. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw her in there, but... Uh, those are cool little ice boats as well. Yeah, that's a bigger one than the the uh, tug that's down to Southwest Harbor. Yeah, the bridle. The part of ice breaking, I w- I think that sounds great and fun to do that, but just trying to go to sleep afterwards and, and where that thing is crushing through the ice must be uh, a no. real challenge. Freaks me out, and we'll get talking about ice when uh, we'll get to uh, well, we might as well get to Bowden uh, pretty much right away. Um, Bowden. Uh, Got a great history to it. Was built in uh, what 1921 down in Booth Bay, Maine. That's right. Designed and built uh, for and by uh, uh, Commander McMillan, and he sold shares of the boat originally, didn't he? I hear uh, for a hundred dollars you could be a plank owner of the boat back in the day. Well, I, I don't know that specifically, but I do I do know he was really good at at promoting his trips uh, north, and he brought students that would come from like Yale and Harvard that were that would compete. And then they would pay a pretty good fee, like $3,800 in the 50s, to go for uh, two months up to the Arctic. So he was pretty good about that. He was really great about his talks. He would gather people in a room. And if you've ever heard one of them recorded, they're just uh, really enjoyable. He just brings the audience right in and makes everybody want to go. But that's basically... How you know how he made it all work and thirty eight hundred dollars in nineteen fifty that was like the price of a house right to to go up there, and he would take these young people and go north and, they, and that was his crew and not unlike really what we're doing at the academy with our students we're not making them buy a house to go but uh, we're we're definitely using that same model of taking students uh, you know on northern trips. Commander McMillan doing the same thing we're doing here this morning. Bragging up the boat and making it cool, yeah, there you, go. you know. <laughs> and if he had a radio station and the internet, what would he have done? Because that is a different job in my mind from being captain of the boat to be the PR man. Um, and you got to be the chief bottle washer and everything. Now, um, let's go back to 1921. Uh, Perry got to the North Pole in what 1903, wasn't it? Oh nine. Oh yeah, it was pretty terra uh, incognita still up up north there, and a lot of people had spent a lot of time trying to penetrate that barrier. Weird uh, theories uh, at the end of the 1800s. One of them was that there was a thermal vent at the top. The uh, uh, Jeanette expedition, are you familiar with that? USS Jeanette. I've heard it. Um, Into the Ice. Uh, it was a book out last year. Um, they froze themselves, tried to uh, go north there. They expected to find a tropical sea full of wonderful creatures and possibly gold at the top of the earth there. Um, it didn't yeah. quite go that way. They had a winning lottery ticket. I, yeah. I, think, I think going to the Arctic regions was like, like going to the moon for people. It was so such a – and that's why people were so uh, infatuated with it. It was like uh, somebody's going to go up to the North Pole. Oh, my God. Yeah, and exactly my point. So who is McMillan and why does he want to do this? He's a private. He's not in the Navy. He's a private man, isn't he? Yeah, McMillan was the mate on Roosevelt, uh, which was Peary's vessel that he went to, to the Arctic with. And Roosevelt. And he was never right after that, was he? Well, he, well he, I think he discovered what he wanted to do with Arctic work when he was on there as mate. And, and I always find it interesting when every time I go to work in Castine and go across the bridge, the Roosevelt was built right here in Verona, uh, which I thought, you know, I, I never realized that. But at any rate, uh, once he went to the Arctic, uh, the captain was Bob Bartlett from Newfoundland. 
the two of them, when they got off of that, they both decided that they wanted to do Arctic exploration. And one went up there for hunting trips, Bob Bartlett, and the other went for exploration and uh, studying of the habitat and working with the Inuit. So it was kind of interesting how those two men who sailed with Peary uh, steered the rest of their, their careers uh, in Arctic work. Bob Barley was a famous uh, sealing captain from Newfoundland. Yeah. Um, yeah. Larry, are you still there with us? Sure. Okay. Um, what, what's your take on the, uh, the first days of the Bowdoin? Well, you know, I, 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 in, in studying uh, Macmillan, you know, once as crew, but also just hearing the lore, uh, it struck me that he was very much an, uh, an innovator. He, he, if he if he wasn't broadcasting, he'd probably syndicate. Uh, uh, but he, he had he had uh, a lot of curiosity, and and I think maybe what what got him most excited was was doing more than just simply exploring, because he did a lot of um, work with with the, the um, in, uh, indigenous cultures there, and and he and his wife later on, when they went back in, in later years, um, um, you know, worked with schools and helped help build schools there. So I think he, he, he had a true love for the North, and it, it grew. Um, uh, and uh, that fueled, I think, his energy to, to keep going back. I mean, it was like 20 21 trips north uh, he made uh, on, on, on the boat. And, um, so I, I, I think that, that that's always struck me as a big part of, of, of McMillan's motivation. Larry, you're, you're um, obviously the reason we're here this morning to talk about your project from the Galley Soft Light. Um, you are the essence of what we're talking about here, uh, promoting the Bowden and making it cool. You know? Well, thank you, but uh, I, I'm just a small, tiny part of it all. As you look back at all the captains who worked on her and, and those who've done the restorations and working on her now, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a piece of that, not not, not the center <laughs> of attention, but uh, I appreciate that. Well, you've been a piece for a while, I hear. Speaking of the restoration, the um, uh, Bowdoin languished for a couple of years before it was built by Maine Maritime Academy. Yeah, and I knew that. You know, I uh, I, I was educated in Maine, and um, when I, after I graduated college, um, for a brief stint, I was around Boston and um, came back and, and worked a few seasons, and this was in the mid early mid-70s, uh, just after Jim Sharp, uh, Captain Jim Sharp, had um, essentially rescued her from, from a... Um, uh, a museum um, in, in southern Connecticut, and he, uh, uh, he he had done a lot of the heavy heavy lifting, and I came in just sort of at the tail end of that. Uh, um, and uh, I think um, uh, the, 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 the I was aware that that this was happening, and, and it, it, it it distracted me from my studies. That's for sure. <laughs> when I got got up to Camden, uh, uh, that's where I wanted to be, and um, and uh, and I was really fortunate enough to to, to be. You know, brought on board as crew. Um, so I did that for a while, then disappeared for the next 30 years for other things and um, music and, and, and medicine and a few other um, distractions. And um, about 36 years later, I came back and there she was at Castine at, at the Mar 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 Maritime Academy, um, looking great to me. But then, of course, um, I also learned enough about vessels to know that there must have been other things that needed to be done. And um, and um, so, you know, to, to make a long story short, um, Andy, Captain Andy Chase and, and, and John Worth invited me to, uh, to, 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 to sail in, in one of the sail training um, um, cruises weekend, um, short, short cruises uh, in October. Um, and then I eventually got involved in the campaign to raise funds for the repair of the decks and other repairs. And, um, and that, that, that just occurred to me there were all these captains talking about amazing things, things I'd never seen but had heard about. Um, and they were the same things that McMillan had heard about uh, heard about and did for, for so many years. And, um, and there was this, this, this opportunity to, to gather people together and, and hear all these stories and try to, to, to not so much meld it into a fundraising effort, but, but a, 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 you know, an archival story of, of the, the, new, the new years of the boat, the years when she, in the uh, 80s and 90s, um, and beyond, went, went north uh, with cadets and trained um, future mariners, and, and that just intrigued me so much. So I had the equipment and the wherewithal to kind of put this together. We brought a um, digital tape recorder, and we just had a great time one afternoon just just talking, and, and it, it was all recorded, and then we made this into a, a CD. There's some music in there as well, some of my own music, but um, um, so the, the idea was really to just, just preserve and also 
share share the stories with people who who are like if you listen to this even I listen I, I, I sort of sometimes gasp in amazement at some of the stories that people are, are in in this century witnessing um, and, and will you wrote a tune a while back uh, song for the Bowden yeah well, that wasn't was, that the uh, start of it yeah, but you know, it's part of the same theme. Uh, she was um, in in different ownership on in different hands and uh, having a rough time. Broke uh, broke a main mist, um, uh, broke off a, 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 her uh, mooring chain, uh, snapped, and she ran aground. Um, there were um, um, other vicissitudes along the way, and there I was, you know, in a classroom saying, "What can I do about this?" I mean, it's, you know, when you when you work on the boat and you you, you love the vessel, and I couldn't do much except. Uh, Is that easy for you to write a song? They always pour out of you? No, it's never that easy. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> interesting, isn't it? there's an aura around the boat here this morning and it's a just inherently cool thing uh, all on its own so yeah. um now when you were crew where did you uh get to operate well you know it was part of the windjammer fleet um jim sharp oh yeah um who i owe a lot to you know yeah. he uh, uh he, he said and he keeps saying you know a boat like that shouldn't be in a museum or on you know uh, on um on in cement it should be working and it's the best place for a boat that not only has the ability to sail like that but but um, um the potential to keep doing that so so he, he just put it right into the trade he i think he'd owned the adventure at that time and was about to be part owner of the of the um um of the roseway uh, with uh, uh captain orville young and um so we'd go to <laughs> i can almost remember the route you know if lobster bake was thursdays of course so that was either um, um a hundred acre island or or we'd go, you know, to Stonington, and um, uh, but pretty much the East Bay. Um, and um, uh, no way, no, I guess it's where we go, Deer Isle, Agamogan Reach, uh, pretty much that route. Um, I, I think uh, I didn't know this, but I think uh, uh, the, the effort was trying to kind of baby her a little bit. And Alan Talbot was was captain at the time, and uh, you know, didn't want to put her through too much. Although I, I think you know, you know that she had the ability, but. Uh, um, uh, he was still in the Jim was still in the restoration mode, I think, and and, and you know kept her going all through that time as a as a as a windjammer. We um, ought to mention a little bit more about Jim Sharp. He's pretty instrumental in this story. If uh, nobody recognizes his name, Jim's been out of Camden for years. Uh, Jim started in the Pennsylvania area. He was uh, kind of bitten by boats when he was a kid. He uh, worked in his father's finance company which is integral to the story, I think, because it's good to have a, a background in finance when you're looking at old boats, you <laughs> know? So. Yeah. And uh, he ended up in Maine in Castine and started buying boats. And uh, he also has written an incredibly nice little book called A Life Obsessed by Boats. Highly recommended. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Jim Sharp. We have not interviewed Jim yet, but we uh, um, uh, fully intend to just about as quick as we can. Nowadays runs the uh, Sail and Steam Power Museum down in Rockland, among other things. Yeah, it's a great museum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the great uh, incidents in his boat, uh, in his book, he's, uh, again, Bowden's only one of the boats he saved. Uh, he brought a tugboat into Camden at one point, docked it, and says it's a restaurant. And, uh, you know, Camden Town Fathers had no idea about that. It was very successful for a while. And uh, Jim, a bit of a character, if I could... I delivered a boat over to uh, Nova Scotia at, at uh, Thanksgiving, and we're on the dock in Yarmouth. And behind us on the dock is a very strange vessel. It is a double-ended, uh, about 60-foot, it's a 1912 um, uh, Norwegian uh, canal boat with a two-cylinder make-and-break diesel engine. And I thought it was a steam engine in, uh, downstairs there, and a guy named Larry... Uh, Oh, uh, uh, Larry's last name, anyway, um, out of um, Lunenburg, 
bought it from Jim Sharp. And I'm on I'm standing on the dock looking at this. I've got a little bit of rum in me. Okay, and this guy with a ponytail walks up and he, he looks at me, he goes, Jim Sharp. And I said, I, I thought to myself, that's not Jim Sharp. And he just bought it from Jim Sharp. Oh, was that record? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, Jim's owned some amazing vessels, and uh, that's, what that's one saying. of them. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And, uh, yeah, that, that particular one uh, was pretty uh, unique to Jim's interest, you know, uh, the engine. It's and unique the anywhere on the planet, yeah. in, in my should, opinion. For the, for the non-mariners, we should explain a canal boat is a... Typically, a pretty long and narrow boat in order to fit through a lot of the canals that there are over in Europe. Um, not particularly something you'd want to take offshore. I think you think it would be awful rolly uh, canal boat, and yeah, I wonder how it got here. I think you would want to uh, talk to Rick Miller and get some good meteorology reports before you took <laughs> yeah. it offshore. But the uh, boat is still stuck in Yarmouth. It needs to go around to Lunenburg. It's been there since fall, and uh, it might need a little uh, mechanicking. But you know. Yeah, I remember after it's the headed there, and we'll we'll know. <laughs> I, I might be involved when it goes. That's the so. Yeah, I remember when it left because there was a couple pictures up on Jim's Facebook page. You know, she was leaving, and then he hadn't heard for for quite a while, and he was wondering where how they made out. And uh, then he did get a call from them. They got got up there safe and sound. The fellow that uh, bought it, Larry uh, from Lunenburg, uh, we'll talk to in the future too. Larry is a nautical collector of some repute too, and has a couple warehouses full of some interesting gear. I'm told. Um, when I met him, he was down in the engine room trying to make a glow plug for a 1912 diesel make and break out of scrap he'd found in the bilge, and he did it and got it running. And we're sitting down the dock on another vessel that a uh, uh, two-cylinder make and break is ticking over all by itself. We're sitting in the salon of another boat uh, having a sip, and when it kicked itself into reverse, we all felt it. <laughs> Our eyes <laughs> all got big. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a remarkable vessel, and once again, Jim Sharp, who's uh, integral to this. The this memory story. I have of the record is when they fired it up one time, and it would shoot these little smoke rings that were perfectly round. They would come out like. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty impressive to watch. Possibly not reassuring, but yes, very interesting. <laughs> we are doing boat talk this morning. We're having a pretty good time. I hope you are out there too. Uh, we haven't mentioned the phone number yet, but we're so busy talking to these people. Well, here's the phone number: one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And we have Beatty on the phone. Good morning, Beatty. Um. Yeah, I just wanted to mention. Um, I'm in Camden, and uh, John Nugent used to live here, and he had a, there was I don't know that much about it, but his wife lives here because he died. Um, he was sick for quite a while, but he took care of the boat, and it was my understanding when it was in Bath, it's sort of somewhere on the, the main maritime museum. And no, nobody ever mentions him, but I think it was a very low period for the boat. <laughs> And I, I think it was in the late 70s. Does that ring a bell at all, John Nugent? Sounds about right. John, of course, was another kind of a waterfront character. Of, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, John Nugent uh, deserves all the credit in the world. Uh, well, he, that's what I thought. He was, uh, and, and he's actually mentioned a lot in our literature. Uh, okay. He, he uh, when they did the rebuild in the early 80s, yeah. the Bowdoin Association was developed. And they were like a lot of nonprofits. They were, you know, just barely making it. And yeah. John was the one tasked to be the shipwright down at Percy Small Shipyard. And he, he and uh, David Small and a few other really dedicated volunteers uh, brought the vessel back. Um, and, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he. You'll never hear me uh, not give him full credit for okay, his work. Great, I, and and, and I, there's a I nice. Think, what about John? <laughs> there, there's a nice picture of him framed on the vessel yeah. in in the the. the uh, the framework of the vessel. He was carrying, you know, beams that were hundreds yeah. and hundreds of pounds all by himself. So yeah, John. Uh, John is a, a, a one reason the Bowden is still uh, the, the great yeah. vessel that it is. He, he had he and his wife had the Olad later right. in Camden. So okay. Yeah, well, and the CD is actually in memory of of John. Um, uh, he, he, I think sometimes uh, the, the Jim and John's names. Um, get omitted in, in any discussion as to who did the most and saved her, but actually they both were, were, were very instrumental. J Jim really took John in and tra and trained him. He had not had a lot of experience in boat building, and, and he was such a smart guy, learned so quickly. He, he took those skills with him to Bath with, with the next phase of restoration. And, yeah. and with Jim's blessing, he was really very proud of, of what, what John had done. He did a beautiful job on the rebuild in the 80s, and... Uh, 
in I guess, I guess it was uh, in the 2000s, probably 2007 or 2008, we had him up to Maine Maritime Academy. Um, and he was pretty ill at the time, but uh, was able to make it up there and uh, take a look at the boat. And we mm. just uh, made plans for the Arctic Passage. And uh, it's great to have him up there and actually recognize all the hard work that he'd done. And he got to see the boat in excellent shape. Great. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for your input, Beatty. Well, and, and again, that makes John cool. Uh, again, we're talking about the cool of the Bowden, and without the right people, um, even something as cool as the Bowden falls apart. Yeah, uh, there's just a lot of people that uh, really appreciate this vessel. It's uh, the official vessel of the state of Maine. And uh, John Newt, I mean, uh, Larry Kaplan's CD. Thanks, Larry, by the way. That was an excellent job. Uh, it, it it's it really does capture a lot of the the energy and the the support the vessel has over the and all the way through you know from Jim Sharp uh, John Nugent and the the people at May Maritime Academy I think take really good care of this boat yeah well let's refresh for just a minute we're doing boat talk this morning it's community radio WERU uh, we have in the studio here Captain John Worth um, uh, former captain of the Bowden and professor at uh, Maine Maritime Academy also uh, same description for Captain Rick Miller here and uh, on the phone Larry Kaplan who is a former crew member and musician who's made this wonderful uh, CD from the Galley Soft Light now Larry um, we would play a track here but the uh, thing is not tracked up one to, you know how many it's one track basically yeah, it is one r r running recording, yeah. Yeah, um, describe to us the content of this beautiful uh, uh, package I'm holding in my hand here. Nice uh, nice artwork and cover, man. Oh, thanks. Well, that that, that photograph is, is just breathtaking, and, you know, that, that that's um, um, the, the, um, the, the, the photograph was, uh, let me see if I'm uh, uh, yeah, Tom Stewart's um, um, photograph. He'd, he'd been on the boat and... and Framed um, by it, framed by icebergs here, yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, and, and, uh, you know, it, it, people ask, well, you know, how, how can you take a picture at such, such, you know, such dangerous waters? But actually, the, uh, the icebergs kind of attenuate the the, the, the waves and and, um, and force of the water, so you can probably take a smaller boat out and do that. I think that's I think that's the, the secret to those pictures. But um, but you know, it, it, it really was simply sitting there and and doing my best to kind of steer a conversation but I did I stopped steering uh, early on and it was just um, first of all the captains who were present for this and they were uh, 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 Jim Sharp by phone John Worth Elliot Rappaport Andy Chase uh, Heather Stone Rick Miller and Eric Jurgensen these are all contemporaries who were are, 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 you know equally skilled at, at sailing the vessel but they just um, reminisced and talked and and even um, you know even if things went went off a bit uh, I knew I could put those on those things on the editing floor um, but there's tons of stuff that just wasn't included in this 50 minute effort um, um, but the, um, um, the, the the back theme was to to, to, to remind people that that vessels this historic significance always need attention and always need um, rejuvenation, and um, so so the hope is that people will will, will, will notice um, um, the long term needs and and, and um, if they're willing and interested, would would help help um, uh, with the, the, the campaign to to, um, to to do these repairs. But um, it, it, it that wasn't on first on people's minds, and very quickly I think it was just a. Um, um, Comparison of trips north and the, um, um, the experiences of each of those trips and how they were similar but in many ways different as well. Each each captain had had um, um, a real unique balance of stories, and so it, it, I have to say it was easy. What was hard, of course, is getting home and saying, "Now what do I do with all this stuff?" And, uh, and, and, and so there was um, work in basically uh, you know, making it a, a, um, a edited um, um, under an hour presentation and i think we did it so so larry now now that we've uh, piqued a lot of interest in your cd um it's not for sale could you please explain well, that yeah and, and uh, it, it isn't i you know I, I i with all respect i i don't think of it as my cd it, you know i i look at it as sort of you know this team effort but no it, it um it, it's really part of a of a um 
uh, fundraising effort. Um, um, you know, Bowdoin College um, um, donated uh, priceless archival photographs, and you know, we thank um, um, the Perry McMillan Arctic Museum staff for that, and uh, and you know, Folk Legacy Records uh, allowed me to put one of the songs on there. But um, it was um, um, uh, really just a um, um, an effort to to, to produce something that is, you know, historically important. Um, we wouldn't, I don't know if we even have a way to, to sell it. I, you know, we've talked about that, but then there, there are all kinds of legal um, ramifications around that. So so at this point, it's it's something that we might try to uh, stream it, um, make it available as, a, as, a, uh, as a, an audio stream. That, well, we won't uh, say sell, but it, there is a way that people can uh, get their hands on a CD and John will tell us about that. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the importance of this project. And we're raising $1.6 million on this vessel to keep her sailing for another 100 years to the Arctic. So when Larry volunteered to put this together, we thought we'd use this as sort of a promotional tool so that people could kind of understand why it's such an important vessel. I'm pretty sure anybody that donates to the Bowdoin Fund, that which is easy to find at uh, our website, w, uh, May Maritime Academy, EDU. Uh, uh, MMA. MMA. Dot, dot edu. There you go, yes. MMA.edu. Uh, they they uh, could ask for one of those CDs, and uh, I'm sure that uh, one would be forthcoming. It's, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's one of those pieces of work that tells the story very, very well, and uh, I th- I'm sure Larry's uh, interested in seeing it uh, being shared as much as possible. So, Yeah, you know, I, I, I was getting lost in the story, and I forgot that's exactly what it is. It's, it's something that's given to, to, to donors and, and potential donors, um, um, you know, would also have access to it, so, so it, it has that, that function, certainly. One of the things I hate reading about and talking about music is you can't do that and not listen to it. And we have obviously teased people to death here about this CD. <laughs> you can hear it, though. We are going to run it in its entirety Friday at 10 a.m. on Main Currents here on WERU. Nice. Uh, this The same time slot uh, this upcoming Friday morning. Um, uh, Amy Brown, who uh, uh, organizes such things, was so impressed with this. Uh, she was, uh, like say, even... Uh, a legend that we might replace boat talk with it, and uh, we might have in the snow today, but Friday morning at 10 o'clock we'll be playing this uh, CD in its entirety from the Galley Soft Light. And we have Larry Kaplan on the phone. Uh, you were going to bring your guitar today. You couldn't make it. Uh, yeah, and I don't think it would go over well on the telephone. <laughs> well, it had <laughs> occurred to me for a minute, man. But um, Also, um, Oh, uh, we were tempted to uh, play a track, but again, it's an hour CD, and, and uh, we're not going to get to do that this morning. We're not well organized enough for that. So, uh, <laughs> But Friday morning at 10 o'clock, um, we will be able to uh, hear this in its entirety, and then that will be a podcast up on the uh, WERU website, too, for people who got something else to do next Friday at 10. I, I, I just listened to it this weekend in my car for the fifth time, and uh, there's, a, there's several nice tunes on there, and they're... We kind of encouraged Larry to write one that was a little more upbeat from the song of the Bowden, and he managed to do that uh, brilliantly. And there's a couple of nice tunes on there that uh, kind of tell the story. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, and once again, we uh, uh, spoke to An- Andros uh, Kipagoras, who is rebuilding the Bowden right now down in uh, a shed in Camden. And uh, the project is going quite well. They uh, started to put a new deck on it. They had to back up a little bit, and uh, the top of the frames... Uh, um, a little soft there, and they started, uh, what was the story we got? They started at, at the end of October, and they just got uh, a couple weeks ago to where they thought they were going to start um, to put the deck on. That's pretty All typical. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you never know on a wooden boat till you till you look. Uh, it's always uh, going to find stuff that you don't anticipate. Water's pretty thin, um, um, stuff that goes everywhere. And um, So anyway, he has, uh, Andros, uh, Built the mainmast, uh, new mainmast for her, and uh, seems to be a very talented fella. I should I should mention also that there are some pictures of the Bowden with its deck off right now on the uh, again main maritime boat, website. Yeah, yeah the, well the main maritime website mma.edu and the boat po- boat talk Facebook page. Oh, excellent! Pictures. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and at Facebook there's a Facebook page for Bowden too as well. So I think that's going to be great. Uh, people can watch that whole action. And some time-lapse photography uh, that'll be shown from time to time of, 
you know, 20 days all in, in you know, a minute and a half. Yeah. I, I was down to the project this morning, really, and uh, I got to tell you, the, it's all coming together now. The ceiling's fully back in, so they had pulled some of the ceiling out where they'd found some decay. That's all replaced, uh, uh, both port and starboard side. We, we need to say again, the ceiling on a boat People is not People expect the that to be uh, straight. <laughs> it's not. Ceiling is uh, what covers up the inside of the, the uh, frames. Right. It's like a... Uh, Planking on the inside of the frames. Yeah, and, yeah, kind of uh, sideways wainscoting, yeah. uh, if you want to think of it do, that way. Yeah. It's, stru- it's structural, so yes. it's pretty beefy stuff. Yeah, it's uh, two and three quarter, and it's uh, southern yellow pine, real right. rugged stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a phone call, so we, let's go to Fred, uh, uh, Intendant Cernover. Good uh, morning, Fred. Hey, thank you for a great program. Thanks. Um, a question and comment. Uh, the question is, uh, was that 45 degrees total or 45 degrees one side and then the other side? Oh, you're talking about the the cruise ship? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she was rolling both ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That uh, talk about a horror a horror show for a lot of people. Yeah, and I imagine on those upper decks, that's quite a bit of traveling from one side oh. to the other. Yeah. And um, the comment is that I'm rereading um, Isaac Storm by Eric Larson, and it's got a wonderful, wonderful uh, information on the history of the Weather Service. And I admit I am a growing weather weenie, and uh, so uh, that uh, fascinates me. What uh, what you have to say about it and uh, everything, uh, because it's uh, very entertaining along with everything else. Yeah, Isaac Storm's a very interesting book, and you know back then the uh, Weather Service was reluctant to forecast anything because <laughs> they were going to get in trouble if they weren't right. Is that the Galveston hurricane? Which yep, nineteen hundred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I just love being on land sometimes when I. But uh, not on a on a, a very uh, low flat sandbar, <laughs> off of right. Galveston, Texas, and <laughs> no bad place, bad yeah, place. That, right. was, that was a pretty devastating storm. It was devastating. Yeah. What I like to say is, uh, you know, it's a planet covered mostly by water. There's more coming. Isn't it good to be boat people? It is. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. All right. Thank you. Take Appreciate care. Appreciate it. 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to add to the conversation. Yeah, Fred going on the Internet right now looking to book a cruise, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and once again, we're uh, having a great time talking about Schooner Bowden this um, uh, morning. Let's talk about the uh, sailing abilities of the Bowden. I am a big fan of, of the word sea kindly. And a lot of boats that I deliver pound badly into seas. We call that hitting potholes. And I have also been on a couple of boats that don't do that. They slice through the water. And, uh, again, the, the difference in the ride is, is considerable. Um, Bowden, I would guess, pretty good sea boat, Captains? I would have to say yes to that. Um, she's excellent sea boat, great in open ocean. She's not that big, um, 90 feet overall, and uh, but... I've had her in some pretty rough weather and uh, incredibly dry deck. She, her bulwarks are about a foot tall. Oh, I admire and, that. Uh, yes. You know, I don't. I was. I think it's on the CD there, but I've talked about uh, a couple of times, more than a couple of times, watching the bow drop down in the trough and just waiting for that green water to come over the stem, and it just doesn't happen time and time again. Very I comfortable. Said, I said to one guy, he, he says, uh, isn't this a hell of a boat? I says, if it didn't throw buckets of water at you while you're driving it, maybe. <laughs> And some boats right. do that. That's not helpful. No. I, I think it's always been kind of interesting that when you know when Jim Sharp brought her up here and put her in the windjammer business up here with the other schooners sailing around here, she was pretty slow um, and, and had a uh, notoriety for being this, one of the slowest schooners because McMillan designed that boat specifically to go offshore. So her rig is small, but when you get offshore, it's perfectly appropriate. Uh, you can take huge amounts of weather and wind and... Uh, it rides, uh, basically, somebody told me one time that he went to William Hand, he said, design me a, uh, a Gloucester schooner in 88 feet that will go through ice. And that's what she'll do. Uh, she's an amazing vessel. Uh, and I think Rick and I both appreciate the fact that as soon as you clear, you know, out by uh, Isla Ho and start heading offshore, you realize what that boat was meant to do. Yeah. Uh, she sails great. She also has a huge propeller. Uh, which is 42 inches in diameter because he wanted to work through ice. 
So one of the little uh, things that we've done over the years is we put a feathering propeller on her. So when she's sailing, those blades lay flat. up, yeah. And that has really changed her sailing characteristics quite a bit because her hull shape is perfect uh, and very fast. Uh, but with that pro- huge propeller, it, was, it slowed her down significantly. Dragon buckets. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so exactly. We, we get a lot more fuel economy as well. Uh, I think uh, all the captains would agree that uh, you can sail the boat uh, in a lot lighter wind and still continue to move along without using the, the engines, which yep. uh, I think in McMillan's era, he ran the engines steadily uh, to provide heat and resources uh, and to make power. You know, and power. Right. But uh, that 42-inch wheel... Uh, is a pretty big disc to be pulling along. Did so it that, have any sort of cage around it or anything that could protect it from the ice? So uh, no, but it was heavy bronze, and we, the original propeller is still around. It's sitting up in uh, a dooryard of a fellow that helped us uh, finance the, the, the feathering wheel. And you can see that it, even though it's bronze, it was very, very heavy. And I believe they had to replace that sometimes when they were underway because they would bang it up. But uh, That'd be a tricky job. Yeah, it would. Underwater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a hard time. Um, for years, I got to say I'd never hit anything until I run into Door Ledge, uh, the side of Stonington, one time in the fog. But anyway, uh, uh, run into ice freaks me. The idea freaks me out totally. Um, yeah, how big are they? Uh, you can't see them coming. Uh, um, there are a couple of interesting people in the neighborhood we ought to mention, too, and, and we intend to talk to them on Boat Talk. Um, just uh, within the last, uh, I mean, this winter, a Danish couple on a call, wooden Colin Archer uh, uh, cutter has sailed into Brooklyn, Maine. They're down in uh, the Benjamin River right now. And uh, they came from uh, the Greenland area. There's another boat, which is a uh, cement Colin Archer-inspired double-ender that's wintering with an English couple down in uh, Belfast. They come down from Greenland last winter, too. Oh, what's the name of that boat? I live in Belfast. Uh, yellow one in front of the travel lift uh, oh. uh, down Front Street there. Right. Um, I can't think of the name of it. The fellow's name is Mick and uh, his wife there. And I'll nice fellow. That's a good track. Well, they're in good company. Anytime, yeah. They're in good company because uh, Rick and Karen Miller live in Belfast, and they took uh, Wanderbird yeah. up there, and they're, right. they're sort of Arctic experts. Rick's sort of our resident ice worker. He, he took the boat and up to... Two thousand and two thousand eight. Eight. That was the last trip boat, and it was up there, and he got in some ice. Yeah. The English fellow says we don't see a lot of other boats up there, and my idea is to get the Danish people and the English people all together here and just sit back and let them talk. <laughs> <laughs> How could that be bad? Uh, the um, English fellow mentioned that cement is the only. He, I said I was I surveyed a few boats. I've uh, looked at some rotten cement boats and. He uh, is very high on cement when it's done right and uh, says that it is the only thing when you get hit by ice you can rep- uh, repair in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ferro cement I, I think is very friendly in terms of any type of repair anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. Anyway, we, we uh, fully intend to talk to these people in the future. It's kind of like the old uh, lottery commercial you used to see in Maine here where uh, – uh, husband and wife says, what are you going to do when you win the lottery? And the wife says, well, we're going south. And he goes, no, north, just plain north. <laughs> and again, I find the, uh, you know, the, the latitudes uh, higher, very interesting. And, um, not an easy place to operate, we've already said. And again, not a lot of help up there. You've got to be very self-sufficient. Yeah, uh, when which, we left from, uh, we did a uh, kind of a shakedown cruise from Castine to St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, once we departed there, we had about a 1,200 nautical mile passage to Nook, Greenland. Um, and as we went up there, there's nothing. There's ice along the Labrador coast, so you can't even go in there if you wanted to. Same thing on the southern tip of Greenland. And there's no other boats out there, so you're alone. Do you have radar in the boat? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. And the icebergs actually give a good return, the, mm-hmm. a, you know, true iceberg. The, the step down from the iceberg is they call it a bergy bit, maybe the size of a car or a school bus. Those are the ones that worry me, yeah. And then below that is the growlers, and that's, those are the real dangerous ones because they're at water level, and they take on the color of water. They're filled with water, but it's like a floating rock. Mm, and, uh, with sharp edges. Yeah. And there's like no moose you can't see on the highway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. There's one image that one of your students put up uh, from that trip. It was, it was of the radar, and it looked like a Pac-Man game. I mean, they had oh, yeah, it's pepper, oh, peppered 5,000 <laughs> targets around them, and it was... Uh, uh, Pretty yeah, exciting. 12-mile range, and I, yeah, I've never counted all those little dots on there, but it just about fills the screen. But and they, they, they had a chance to really use the icebox for what it was designed for up on the foremast on the boat, and there's a little barrel up there, and that was meant for looking for leads in the ice. 
and they had students up there doing just that, uh, just like McMillan had done. When we came into Alilisit, which is up in Disco Bay, kind of where most icebergs come from in the Atlantic anyway, um, we were going to go into the harbor, and it was, from what we could see, it was just all iced in. Um, so we were trying to make a alternate plan, and uh, we saw a little fishing boat come out, probably about 50 feet, and uh, we thought, well, if he came out, maybe we can slide in. So we just poked our way in, kind of in and out of gear, and... Uh, She's not an icebreaker, but she is meant to be in ice. So uh, we did find kind of slowly working in. We got a call from the harbor saying the harbor's ice free, so come on in. We got a spot for you to tie up. And we got in there, and I'm not quite sure what their definition of ice free was, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it means that the ice is free. Um, when when you're creeping in like that, do you have people up on the bow with pikes pushing stuff off? We did. We had the got a nice big stout boat boat hook up there, and uh, as much as we could, we would push to the side, and uh, sometimes we just kind of nose into something and let her slide down the hall. But a uh, little unnerving. Hold your breath. Huh? Yeah. I, I I found it interesting when I first uh, took on the boat and climbing down through the lazarette, looking at things around the vessel, and she has a set of ice anchors. I mean, how many schooners sail around here that have their own set of ice what anchors? What does an ice anchor look like? It, it looks uh, like a big claw. It probably weighs uh, 100 pounds. And it's not meant to be on the bottom of the ocean. It's meant to be on an no. iceberg. Yeah. And it's Whoa. got a pl- place to shackle on your, your hawser to it, and you just go up and slam it on there and stay there for the night if you can't move. Hmm. I, I, I haven't used that. I would like to know some of the ins and outs anchoring icebergs. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, because it's floating, too. It is floating. Yeah. Um, everything we heard is you don't go too near them, and it's hard not to because they're so interesting to look at. But uh, as we went up there, they did uh, a couple of them calved, and a couple of them just for no reason that we could tell, but just rolled right upside down, and they could cast a pretty good wake when they do it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I've got a, a YouTube of one of my students as we were sailing up in uh, near St. Anthony, Newfoundland, and the iceberg in this harbor was out there, and I told the students, don't get too close to it while we're, you know, on the small boats. And on the way out, we fired our cannon, you know, just to salute the harbor, and the thing rolled over. <laughs> and Killed the, it. And the girl is looking at it, she's going, oh, that's why you told us not to go out near it. <laughs> yep, good one. Oh, we are uh, running up to the end of Boat Talk this morning. We have had a wonderful time talking to Captain Rick Miller, Captain John Worth, and on the phone, uh, Larry Kaplan down in Connecticut. Um, all boats, the uh, Arctic Schooner Boat and Maine Maritime Academy, high latitudes, uh, all kinds of good stuff. Rick, uh, I'm sorry, John, I got to uh, just real quick. Um, I heard a story with you in it last summer about a confusing radar picture off of Castine uh, looking for that French frigate. <laughs> this, uh, I was trying to help out my friend David Bix of the uh, Castine Yacht Club. David uh, got real embarrassed when I, I all of a sudden clicked to the fact. I said, David, do you even have room for me tomorrow? And he had told 100 people they couldn't come out, and he got all quibbied up out there with the most confusing radar picture. But you were there, too. Same thing, wasn't uh, it? Oh, it was, it was actually interesting because here's this, you know, French, very historic vessel. Uh, sailing about Hermione. The Hermione. She was coming to the bay, and all the people were out to meet it in thick a dungeon fog. And it had accompanying vessels coming with it. It's a meeting engagement. It, it was quite interesting, and, and, and I realized how how the world has changed. I picked up my phone and dialed uh, marine traffic, and I got an AIS image, you know, which is automatic information system. Shows where the vessel is on yeah. a chart. And even even I had a radar, but I didn't know which one she was. But that one went, go, oh, it's, it's that one. <laughs> uh, but how amazing is that, you know, to be able to pick up your telephone and, and find uh, something like that out in the middle of Penobscot Bay. Yeah. Yeah. And to see through the fog, what a blessing that is, huh? Uh, that, was, well, that was a great vessel to have visit us, uh, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people appreciated it. Found at the Goodwill last week in Ellsworth, a radar unit you hold, you uh, drape over your neck. I can't. No, no, I brought a boat that came with one of those. It's 15 bucks up to Goodwill in Ellsworth. I, didn't, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't one, grab it. Might be the same one. <laughs> Jim, Jim Sharp had one of those on the adventure. Well, work on land, uh, you know. On, uh, they didn't work very well. They're all sound. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's it. We've uh, sailed run. through the hour. We've run our ground. Time. Thank you yeah. so much for having us. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thank Told you it would go fast and be fun. It was fun. It was. Thanks to John Greenman in the uh, engine room, and stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around the world at WERU.org.
Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for more than 30 years at 16 Lime Rock Street in Camden. Gambleandhunter.com. Support for WERU also comes from Allen Insurance and Financial of Camden, helping to insure Maine boats and their people since 1866, an employee-owned company, allaninsuranceandfinancial.com, or 800-439-4311. The WERU Winter Funathon Pledge Drive is coming up on Saturday, February 20th through Saturday morning, February 27th. During this time, we'll be inviting listeners to become new members and sustaining members or to make additional contributions to your community radio station. Listener support is the largest portion of the income that WERU receives, and for that, we are extremely grateful. So stay tuned and enjoy community radio and feel good knowing that it's your support that keeps community radio going strong. That's our Winter Funathon Pledge Drive, February 20th through the 27th. Thank you. So nice, I got you. Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners. You make community radio possible. Thank you. It's 11 o'clock on this 